Beloved people, welcome back to the Word is Resistance podcast. My name is Seth Wispelway. I am a pastor in the United Church of Christ, and I use he and him pronouns. I am speaking with you all from what is now Tucson, Arizona, located on the ancestral, occupied homelands of the Tohono O'odham Nation and its people, who have stewarded them for generations. What is this podcast, The Word is Resistance? The Word is Resistance is an offering of showing up for racial justice. The Word is Resistance is a weekly reflection, challenge, and encouragement designed for and directed primarily at white Christians. Each week, we explore what our sacred texts have to teach us as white people, compelled by the liberating story of Jesus about showing up in solidarity to overcome tyranny, oppression, racism, and more. In other words, the word is resistance is, prayerfully, a conversation and resource for helping us truly live out our faith in the times we are living right now. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. I invite you now, wherever you are, to center yourself. Notice your body. Notice your breath. See if you can slow that breath a little. Gently inhale through your nose. Pause and then exhale it all out through your mouth. Repeat that a few times. Yes. That's good. Notice your body. Notice yourself. You are here. Here you are. You are present. Whether you are doing okay or haven't been doing okay, you are lovable. Welcome and hello to yourself. Breathe. Our guiding scripture this week comes to us from the gospel according to the author of Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. The action is taking place on the way, with a capital W, the discipleship way of Jesus, as he continues to exhort his followers to understand what the kingdom of God truly looks like and can be with their help while they make their way to Jerusalem. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, 
but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be servant of all. For the human one came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. We are, all of us, meaning-making creatures. Each in our own ways, we are designed for making sense of our lives, imbuing them with meaning, and for the most part, integrating our stories within a larger social fabric that reflects back, encourages, and grows our meaning and lives into a larger story that carries forward. In so many ways, however, the cultural and familial and societal fabrics we find ourselves in, along with each of our moments in history, these factors and forces seek to impart, with often overwhelming messaging and crushing expectation, the definitions of our meaning and purposes in our time earthside. Often we talk about these forces in summary as systems, which they are, but can also fog over the fact that these are generated, or were at some point, by people. People, over time, worked and continue to work to define the meaning of other people's lives, and far too often for the purposes of exploiting, oppressing, or marginalizing them. Why? For power, wealth, extraction, and the frankly evil purpose of generating personal and collective meaning through superiority over other humans and the resources of this beautiful planet. These ways of defining meaning and violently generating results on its behalf are, spoiler alert, not in keeping with the meaning our living, still-speaking God creates us for, imbues us with, and seeks for our world and collective humanity. Jesus, throughout his ministry and messages and embodied relationships, is constantly modeling God's dreams for us and exhorting us, his followers, to go and do likewise. Jesus' disciples, being human, struggle to keep up, especially in Mark's Gospel. Which brings us to the Zebedee boys, James and John. Now keep in mind, beloved, this passage we're looking at today occurs right after Jesus has made it abundantly clear to a wealthy man and his disciples that those who debase and defraud others to enhance their own possessions and standing have next to zero chance of residing and resting in the beloved community of God with their wealth and power intact. He's also just reminded them 
for the symbolically potent third time that the way of discipleship, of manifesting the vision where the so-called last will be first, is the cross, which for him will mean death, followed by new life. Jesus has been speaking and demonstrating these things all along the way. And yet here come James and John like they were born yesterday, reeking of entitlement with their demand that Jesus do for us whatever we ask of you. Jesus, kindly, takes a moment to inquire exactly what that is, because to be fair, Jesus does elsewhere say, ask and it shall be granted. But keep in mind, Jesus never says that we ask for a blank check on quote-unquote whatever we want. And here it is the inappropriate request. They asked for one of them to sit at Jesus' right hand and one on the left in his glory. Sitting at the right hand is the highest place of honor in Hebrew scripture and elsewhere. What they are asking for is status, recognition. See me, and what a good follower of Jesus I am, the most honored. The impulse is human to put it generously. And Jesus reminds them again that their cart is well out in front of the wrong horse. You don't even know what you're asking. These are the words of a teacher who might be just a little bit tired of repeating themselves, or maybe making sure that they're in the right classroom. Either way, the course is an elective, but the requirements are not for those who claim to be registered. The cup that Jesus drinks from, the baptism he experiences, the preparations he makes for the coming kingdom, these are the commissions of those desiring the ongoing, unending presence of God. And the ability, or honor, if you will, to keep company with Jesus, whether at the right hand or the left hand, isn't even up to him because this cup, this baptism, this way is one of serving others, especially those who have never been served, dignified, or honored. Jesus knows that this path isn't just one likely to lead to worldly honor in the ways James and John see it, but is also a dangerous one, because servanthood in the manifesting of beloved community means solidarity with those crushed underfoot by tyranny, and daring to assert their dignity until God's dreams, love, and abundance are made substantively known to them. When Jesus references the Gentiles and the ways their rulers lord over them and how they think tyrants equal greatness, he's explicitly contrasting his new community to the conventional values of Greco-Roman society, that is, the empire. So when the teacher says, you don't even know what you're asking, he's chiding us all to think first about whether our questions about advancing God's kingdom are poisoned by supremacist ideologies and meaning-making that in fact only serve to advance the empire's so-called meaning for human lives and which ones matter. We saw the same thing in the aforementioned preceding passage with the wealthy man whose question, rooted in his consumer capitalist exploitative worldview and practices, presupposed that eternal life was something he could inherit. 
As Ched Myers and others point out, the Greek root there is the same as a parcel of land. The man was thinking in terms of acquisition with religious and spiritual benefits like property, something he can and should be bequeathed as a mere reproduction of his own class entitlement. So too, then, do we understand why the other disciples would be angry with James and John for their inappropriate question. But we must ask ourselves what layers of entitlement and status-based supremacist ideologies reside in us that would likely have in us wondering at asking the same question of Jesus. Fellow white Christians, what layers of meaning have already been defined and forced on us as we grapple with the call to manifest dignity, solidarity, and liberation for and alongside all God's beloved people? Here in the United States, we reside in a country that proactively, intentionally leverages power and wealth for those who are white, male, cisgendered, and heterosexual. Our country was created to do this, and these entitlements are designed to belong to those who inhabit one, or all, in my own case, all who inhabit these identity markers a priori. Our current empire, the United States, works to define and imbue human meaning in whiteness, patriarchy, and heteronormativity over and against the well-being and lives of others. The lie of white supremacy is death to all who find meaning in it or suffer because of the meaning granted to it. As Noel Ignatiev and John Garvey write, quote, the white race is a club that enrolls certain people at birth without their consent and brings them up according to its rules. For the most part, the members go through life accepting the benefits of membership without thinking about the costs. When individuals question the rules, the officers are quick to remind them of all they owe to the club and warn them of the dangers they will face if they leave it. End quote. Those of you who have been involved in dismantling white supremacy meaningfully in any way will no doubt have been called a race traitor at some point, and you know what they mean. To drink the cup of Jesus, beloved, to partake in the baptism of new, beloved community that tears down this lie in truth is not ever to play status games about being the best or most correct disciple. We are following a traitor to the norms of empire, and they did with him what they do with the treasonous. Jesus doesn't grant status for the way we walk. All we have to worry about is whether we are truly invested in dismantling false meaning and serving all, and the way will be prepared as it's meant to. As Ignatiev and Garvey continue, treason to whiteness is loyalty to humanity. Here is our potent connection to this story this week, beloved. Just as we opened with checking in with ourselves, locating our worth and meaning and how it's doing internally, we turn now 
to checking in with the questions that surface for us as we wrestle to follow and show up alongside Jesus by following and showing up alongside those whom Jesus served and would have us serve. The human one gave his life as a ransom for many, and liberating ourselves to support the liberation of others in a su supremacist empire is costly. But wow, is there life on the other side? Do we believe this? Do you? What questions, then, are we to ask ourselves, white Christians in the United States, before we ask whether we are truly ready, able, and willing to drink the cup and partake in Jesus' baptism for the liberation of all? Here I am going to borrow and modify a few questions from the wonderful commentary on these verses from Mark and Say to this Mountain by Ched Myers, Marie Dennis, Joseph Mangle, Cynthia Molabeta, and Stuart Taylor. As you think about your own call and work to anti-racism and abolition work, whether you are just now dipping a toe in the river's eddies or are well immersed in the whitewater rapids or anywhere in between, here are several questions to carry with you. These are questions to ask ourselves before we open our mouths and find ourselves sounding like James and John. These are questions that, if we can prayerfully meditate on them, and find sincere, humble answers will help ensure we are trustworthy in spaces and with people we hope to serve and support. Now, just as importantly, getting to the roots of our own internal meaning-making with these questions will help ensure our organizing work with fellow white people to dismantle white supremacy will not be poisoned by the tempting, toxic, white ego of making it about us and, quote-unquote, what we do and getting credit for credit's sake. This is about dismantling the primacy of white meaning, beloved, and getting our horse in front of the right cart, the meaning of our collective liberation. Let's make sure we know where we're at. So ask yourself, thinking especially about your posture towards our work to dismantle white supremacy, because these are hard questions for us white people here in the United States. Hard questions. Am I walking toward Jerusalem in the sense that I am less interested in power now than when I began my discipleship journey? Am I willing to lose my life in the sense that Jesus meant it, truly living for values beyond and greater than myself? Am I open to the idea that those who would want to lead, i.e. straight white men, should content themselves often with following? Do I feel that my eyes and heart are being open to new ways of being human, less interested in status, position and titles conferred by whiteness and patriarchy and so on, and more concerned about those othered by these things. Do I understand how dying to whiteness brings suffering that can purge, humble, and save? Do I engage in feudal competition with other anti-racists and abolitionists on the way? 
do I believe that the transformation of the world will be accomplished ultimately from the bottom up? Am I inclined to impose what I see as the good in areas of social change? Am I convinced that God's reign ultimately is prepared by God and not by me? We are building a new world, beloved. Those who would drink Jesus' cup need it. We are doing amazing work in 2021, and we need y'all's help. If you're committed to getting white folks on board for dismantling white supremacy, please make a donation to Surge, showing up for racial justice. We split every donation with a movement partner doing amazing work, and this month, when you're done listening, I personally, enthusiastically invite you to give. Personally, your contribution to our shared work this month means a lot, because I'm on my way back to my hometown of Charlottesville, Virginia, just shortly after recording this for a month-long trial in federal court. There, myself and other plaintiffs in a landmark case called Signs v. Kessler will be seeking widespread accountability from the Nazis and white supremacists who planned and brought violence and murder to our community in August of 2017. We will not let the trauma and pain they sought and did bring in the name of racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, and more have the last word. One of Surge's movement partners is Jews for Racial and Economic Justice, J-F-R-E-J. With hate crimes rising, the Surge Education Fund and Jews for Racial and Economic Justice are working together to enable people to recognize anti-Semitism and understand how it intersects with white supremacy and white nationalism. Your gift here supports both organizations organizing an educational work, which for JFREJ includes hosting the Jews of Color Torah Academy and fighting to end surveillance abuses by the NYPD of Muslim and Arab communities and more. You can donate online at bit.ly slash J-F-R-E-J-S-U-R-J. That's B-I-T dot L-Y backslash, all capital letters, J-F-R-E-J-S-U-R-J, or find our podcast page at surge.org. We'll share the link on social media too. Thanks for helping support this podcast and organizing white people to show up for racial justice and the new world we're building together. And you can learn more about Signs v. Kessler and follow along at integrityfirstforamerica.org. Thanks, as always, for joining us. We'd love to hear from you all, and especially folks of color and non-Christian folks, by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages, or filling out the survey on our podcast page at surge.org. That's S-U-R-J dot O-R-G. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Spotify, 
or wherever you check out our podcast. You can find out more about Surge at surge.org, where you can sign up for Surge Faith updates and find transcripts for every episode, which include references, resources, and action links. And finally, a huge thanks, as always, to our sound editor and a dear friend of mine, Claire Hitchens. Again, my name is Seth Whispleway. With deep gratitude and even a glimmer of hope as we continue to make this road by walking, I bless you forward with these words, a modified Franciscan benediction. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at white supremacy and all injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, racism, misogyny, queerphobia, war, xenophobia, COVID-19, police violence, and more, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and embody solidarity until their pain is turned into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done.